0: Welcome in, two for one drafts, Austin Gale here with my guy Mike Renner. Mike, how are things going? I know you're on a bit of a PTO right now, paid vacation, still doing the podcast. I'm glad you're grinding it out.
1: I power through for the listeners, team player, <laughs> through and through. I'm gritty, gonna gonna be here. I'm actually not even on vacation, I'm just taking PTO. I'm at home right now, literally at my desk. Fair. Not even just hanging out. Same shit. There you go. Today we're going to be going over the 2021
0: linebacker class in the NFL Draft, continuing our series where we do class overviews. I'd encourage everyone, if you haven't listened to previous podcasts, we've gone over quarterbacks, receivers, the entire offensive side of the ball. Edge defenders and defensive tackles. Also had some good interviews along the way. Damon Harrison, Clayus Campbell, um, among others. Today, going over linebackers, we also interviewed a good friend of Mike's, current fullback for the Seattle Seahawks, but was drafted as a linebacker by the New York Jets in Nick Ballore. I thought he had, I think, his best analysis or takes around on special teams play and how important it is. I think since 2013, Ballora has played at least 200 special team snaps every single season, which I find, I mean, that's how he's staying in the league. I mean, what, this is his 10th year in the NFL?
1: Yeah. So we talked with him about just how important it is for, if you're not, you know, a top three rounds, if you're a day three guy or later, just like you, you, can't, you can't afford to not play special teams. If you're drafted at a position like linebacker, position like uh you know safety something like that you have to make an impact at those positions and i even uh i, I said this kind of in passing but uh i um, in the interview with nick but ron miles a good friend of mine who's uh within the lions scouting department i believe he's the director of college scouting i want to say i should know that i feel bad that i don't off the top of my head but he's like we we literally like if a guy is not going to be a special teams player in sixth seventh round we can't draft him like we will not draft a guy who cannot just because that you can't there's only so many roster spots and a guy has to see the field uh if you're saving a roster spot for him so uh it, it is kind of an interesting thing that we even at pff overlook like i i don't really give a shit about special teams impact because it's such a small portion of like why you're actually drafting a guy, but. You do have to fill out a roster, and plays like special teams still can make an impact on a football game. And he was
0: even saying, like, backup running backs, because him playing in Seattle, Travis Homer was a name that, like, he had to step up on special teams. And even though, obviously, Homer played primarily offense in college, you have to learn to tackle. You have to learn to play the fundamentals of special teams. And I thought it was – I mean, I really did think it was interesting because I do think in the scouting process and all of this, it gets overlooked a ton, even though scouts, coaches, and obviously players – prioritize it, and yes. value it significantly. He also had a good story about Marshawn Lynch and some high, praise, high, high high praise for Chris Carson. There wasn't... No no, no one loves Chris Carson as much as Nick Ballore does, which I found very interesting. Encourage you to stay on the pod after the linebacker overview to listen to that one. All right, let's jump in to the cream of the crop of this class, the guy that everyone's calling the consensus number one linebacker. I think there's... Potential in some of these other guys challenging this spot. But honestly, Micah Parsons might be the bona fide linebacker one in 2021, the Penn State kid.
1: No, there's no I disagree with that take. No one will challenge Micah Parsons for linebacker one. Really? Really? In my opinion, he is. There are two guys I would call generational prospects in this class. Micah Parsons, Penny Sewell. At their respective positions, I don't think we've seen a guy like Sewell in – probably like 20 years, to at least 10 years. And I don't think we've seen a guy like Parsons since, I don't know, Patrick Willis, like in terms of he's every single box, every single thing you want from a linebacker, like he has. He can do all those things. There's no like, oh, he's a little undersized, like, you know, Devin White, Devin Bush, they were just a little undersized. No, Michael Parsons six three two forty five. 6'3", 245. Like that is... Ideal linebacker size. There's no oh he he's not quite that you know fast. He runs. He was seventh on Bruce Feldman's freaks list after his freshman year. He ran a four four three at after in that spring last spring. So. Uh, there's a lot of things to like about his game. Second highest run defense grade we've ever given a linebacker as a true sophomore this past season can rush the passer. Like if, if he was just evaluated as an edge prospect, he might be the number one edge prospect in this class in terms of the way he can rush the passer. 91.3 pass rushing grade as a freshman, 86.8 this past year. You can't block this guy when he's coming down the hill with the full head of steam. So, uh, I, I truly believe that no one's going to touch him. The only thing we really haven't seen is a lot of playmaking. Like he, we actually saw it more down the stretch this past year. Four pass breakups. Like you would like to see if a few more picks and PBUs from a guy you'd call a generational prospect. But again, only a sophomore doesn't have a single pick in his career. But uh, he has another year to make up for that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the thing I was going to highlight with Parsons is that when you watch his tape, even 2019 and 2018, the, the playmaking ability or like the splash plays and coverage, you didn't necessarily see. And that's reflected in his grade, a sub 70.0 coverage grade in 2019 and in 2018. But what is reflected in his grade is the man's instincts and the man's athletic ability. You don't see a guy reacting to plays in front of him better than Micah Parsons. And for that reason, you can count I think you can count on him those splash plays coming in coverage because the hardest part is play recognition identifying the play in time and having the athleticism to make those plays in coverage he's not a liability from an athletic perspective and I think those instincts you know with with a bigger sample size with more experience will lead to splash plays in coverage what well, you know Talking about instincts specifically, I kind of want to expand this a bit. You know, at the linebacker position, traits that you're looking for, obviously athleticism is super important, and it's become even more important as the NFL becomes this past happy league. But everyone, everyone and their mother brings up instincts, play recognition at off-ball linebacker being, and block shedding. I think those are two yeah. things that everyone kind of speaks to at the linebacker position that people want to see. And I think, obviously, Micah Parsons, I think you immediately see the ability, those instincts, and that block shedding.
1: The instincts is one thing that I think we've 100% overrated, though, at the college level early on in the days of PFF. Absolutely. (laughs) Because, I mean, go ahead. It's something that's so it's easy to recognize, but it's also not necessarily translatable uh, scheme to scheme, like instincts and how quickly you can play. It is a big factor of, one, how comfortable you are in your scheme, and, two, like, what you're asked to do. And we actually even touched on that with uh, Nick about, you know, how big the transition was, how how long did it take him before he felt comfortable in the scheme. Like, that's such a big thing. He said some guys, it takes them a while. Some guys just don't have it right away. And we talked about, I brought up Devin White with that because he looked like completely different players last year at LSU in terms of his play speed and how quickly he recognized stuff to this past season with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Like, it is, a lot of it is just the amount you're put on, that's put on your plate within the given scheme and that you're able to, then you're already able to digest. And so you see guys play, if they go to a simplistic scheme that's not asking them to do a lot in, from a coverage perspective, they look like completely different players at the NFL level. Deion Jones is the guy that comes to mind as the shining example of a guy we've just with on because he had he was just all over the place at LSU in terms of like when he was asked to execute and you know, like read multiple different things at the same time he was just was slow and being able to do that then gets to Atlanta where it's just cover three same role snap after snap and all of a sudden like different player altogether uh, you know not just from uh, purely like a production standpoint but legitimately was a different player than what you saw at LSU uh, like he just was much much better of a player so uh there's a lot that goes into the linebacker position that uh needs to be taken into account for and i think that's why it's been just a difficult position to scout and all the data we have says like don't draft linebackers in the first round it's just tough to identify uh the talented ones
0: yeah i mean that scheme dependence definitely i mean speaks to that i i definitely think with Micah Parsons, maybe reeling back my take that someone else can overtake him as linebacker one. My take on this is that there are linebackers, though, that maybe aren't being highly coveted right now that I think can move up the board with a good 2021 season. I kind of want to start with Dylan Moses, the Alabama linebacker that missed most of last year due to injury. This guy, I mean, we've talked about him a little bit, former five-star recruit, ran, I think, a, a 4-4 at an LSU camp at like 14, 13 years old and was offered by Nick Saban a, a full Scott right then and there this guy is literally built different was doing you know 300 500 push-ups push-ups a day to get through as an eighth grader I mean his dad has literally been building him in a lab talk about a guy that I think can really rise up boards with a full healthy season at Alabama
1: yeah i I think just with his level of athleticism at his size 6'3 235 and he's probably going to run four maybe sub four five like he might be in the four fours jump like 40 inches he's just that level of athlete he's probably going to go in the first round like guys like that don't last that long and he's not he hasn't been bad by any means uh at, at at Alabama, but he hasn't been like a playmaker has not been a guy who works downhill consistently and has like all the things you necessarily want, but just with that level of athleticism and how good he is as a tackler, like in space wraps up extremely well, plays on balance. Those things are the difficult things to coach. The rest of the things you can like get a guy up to speed on to some degree, you can't coach explosiveness and you can't coach balance the way he has it. So I think uh, even without, uh, even if he doesn't really put it all together this year at Alabama, and have a dominant, you know, year grading out ex- exceptionally well like Michael Parsons is probably going to or did this past season. I, I think you're still looking at Moses as a first rounder just because of those physical tools he has.
0: And I just don't know how easy it is to put it all together, you know, to develop those instincts, to develop that play recognition to a point where you're taking advantage of that freakish athleticism, (laughs) snap after snap, like it's way easier said than done. And I know athleticism is relatively uncoachable, but still, you know, gaining that play recognition and and instincts to the point where like you're seeing it every snap is, is again, you need experience for that. You kind of have to have a natural feel for the position. And Dylan Moses, to be frank, has not been healthy enough to get that and also... So has played, it out, played a lot of different roles for Alabama. You've seen him rush the passer off the edge a handful of times. Obviously, he's played some off-ball linebacker in his time as well. I'm interested to see him kind of find himself a role in Alabama's defense, play it more consistently, obviously healthy, and see what he can develop into. I really do like the player, though, because, I mean, you watch this guy, and you just see he is different. You talk about receivers yes. that move differently. Dylan Moses moves differently, and that is something I want to buy into. All right, let's jump to Nick Bolton, the, the Missouri off-ball linebacker. You know he's earned a very very high PFF coverage grade this past year, doing large part to some splash plays that you know were relatively gifted to him. But still, those splash plays and coverage impressive for you know a linebacker at Missouri. What is your overall opinion of Nick Bolton?
1: Yeah, I mean it, it wasn't just like the picks of him undercutting slants that. Was were impressive and gave him. He had a ninety point four coverage grade this past season. He also he had he had a pass breakup in man coverage out wide against South Carolina, where he just like stopped, throttled down on a hitch route from a running back, gets back to the ball and breaks it up. Like he had eight PBU's this past season and two picks. He was a consistently around the football. That that to me is the guys that are able to do that i think that continues you, you rarely see a guy have seasons like that and then go back to zero pass breakups zero interceptions like that just doesn't happen that there's something to that in my opinion that i think bolton has and this guy's six foot tall 232 pounds an absolute just rock to use to steal my my dad's favorite term about guys built like this he's a brick shit house is what my <laughs> how my dad describes it i don't even know what that means uh but he. He says it, and it actually it sounds pretty cool. So I'll steal that one for him. Brick shit house of a defender of a linebacker. Uh, reminds me kind of of Devin Bush, where it's just I mm-hmm. don't think you saw Devin Bush go backwards on a tackle, just because he's built so low to the earth, so like yep. just strong throughout his frame that he's going to win that leverage battle, and he is going to stick you uh, in your track. So that's the type of player he is, plays consistently downhill, uh, and I think he just has some of that. Now he's not the athlete that. Moses is not the athlete Parsons is but he's a very good athlete in his own right probably a guy who's gonna run for six range like he, he's still fairly fast and athletic to me he's a first round type of talent only going to be a junior this upcoming season so uh, the fact that he already had a 91.1 overall grade sophomore pretty darn impressive
0: and very good against the run, too. Like, it wasn't just his 90.4 coverage grade that really elevated his grade. He also earned an 89.8 run defense grade, played over 700 snaps this past year. I mean, I, I agree with the brick house comment. And watching Parsons, then Moses, and then getting to Bolton, you see he's not that same level athlete, but he has enough. And you see that also in the production he has in coverage. And I think Dame Brugler, when we had him on, the athlete, uh, one of the draft guys at The Athletic, he mentioned passes defensed. And you know, plays and coverage picks and those things is something that sticks with defenders, cornerbacks, safeties, and even Mm -hmm. linebackers because always being around the football is indicative of also obviously your athleticism to stick with these faster guys and also your play recognition to be in coverage and be in the right spot at the right time. All right, after Bolton, would you say there's a little bit of a drop off to these next group here, or would you even include this next guy? Okay, next has
1: wild cards, though. this next guy.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Literally the definition. I kind of like this guy, though. I really do. And I think he's another one like Dylan Moses, and uh, we'll talk about him now, Chaz Surratt, the UNC quarterback turned off-ball linebacker. Uh, obviously, his brother plays receiver at Wake Forest. But Chaz Surratt, I think with a very good 2020 season, will be talked about, uh, easily talked about, as one of the better off-ball linebackers in this class. Talk about athleticism, explosiveness. But raw as it gets, literally played quarterback, I believe, in 2018. Yes. Played linebacker for the first year in 2019. And you see, I haven't played this position before on his tape. Like, you see that. But what you also see is ridiculous explosiveness, ridiculous athleticism. He makes plays. Others can't, and that's exactly what you need in the NFL at off-ball linebacker. Point blank, you need athletes that can move that aren't liabilities in coverage. And if he can, you know, sharpen some things, you know, remove some of that raw from his film, and I think he can because you saw him get better throughout that season. I, I
1: do think Chad Surratt is going to be up there with these names like Bolton and Moses. I I want to be a, one of the Surratt brothers. Like I want to be in this family, just with the way they play football. <laughs> like these guys, they are quintessential. Gamers in, in every sense of the word, like they are out for blood. Snap after snap after snap. Now, Chaz, the linebacker, is a little bit like a little bit out of control. I'll just say, like he's not, he doesn't have the finer Absolutely. points down of the linebacker position whatsoever. But you can't coach his will to get like the the, the wherewithal, the the want that he has every single play, uh, and, and that out of controlness really showed up as a tackler. He missed. 27 tackles on 130 attempts this past season <laughs> pretty rough that's a pretty rough rate that is unacceptable for a linebacker but you gotta you know think this guy was playing quarterback last year he was getting tackled only a year prior so I'll forgive him for that but you see these reps as a blitzer one against Clemson he literally just treated Travis Etienne as a speed bump just put him flat on his back on the ground on a blitz he had a play a pass breakup against South Carolina, that was probably, I'm going to bring up another pass breakup that I saw that was probably the two most impressive pass breakup, one of the two most impressive pass breakups from a linebacker I saw all last year, Did never even looked back at the quarterback. Anytime you have one of those where a guy never looks at the quarterback the whole time, he's dropping, eyes on the wide receiver, breaks on the ball, dives at that catch point without ever seeing the quarterback had to throw it guys who trust themselves to that degree you always i I always fall in love with i think that is a thing that you need to have at the nfl level that trust in what you're reading that is actually going to be there any hesitancy i don't want on my football field so he has all those things but again the tackling needs to be cleaned up and just needs kind of a little rough around the edges smooth that stuff out and i think he could be uh i mean i think right now he's easily a day two talent he could push his way towards the first
0: you know, eight, eight missed tackles in his first three games at linebacker. That, I mean, that surprises no one, though. I mean, it's I mean that's one of the harder things to kind of develop playing the you know playing a position as new as that, going from quarterback to linebacker. I'm glad you spoke to the recklessness, the want to, because I feel like that's again what pops off on tape and why you kind of come away excited about his potential and not necessarily worried about you know him you know sharpening things and, and you know removing some of that raw from his tape. All right, let's jump forward here and talk about uh jack sanborn i honestly i've seen some guys really like jack sanborn but when you compare him to some of these other guys with these tools that i i want to jump all over i you don't see it I, in my opinion with yeah. sanborn
1: yeah so he's still young though he, he was only a sophomore last year so he's gonna be a true junior uh the first thing that i noticed that like I can't get out of my head now watching his tape is he's maybe the most duck-footed football player I've ever seen in my life like his feet he's constantly t-stepping like he's constantly like his feet are just sideways anytime he's running it's impossible not to watch uh anytime I watch him now because it's just stuck in my head but uh that aside he's actually fairly athletic he's kind of uh I'd say by NFL linebacker standards probably an average athlete so he's Good enough athlete, 6'2", That's kind of been Wisconsin linebackers. There's been a handful that have graded out well in recent years. The, the problem has been none of them have had been worth a darn athletically, any of those guys. This Sanborn actually has that level of athleticism, has really good balance. He just has no power to his game at this point, no no real explosiveness to his game. He's 6'2", and slipped off a ton of tackles. 24 misses on 100 attempts. That's, again, unacceptable. But, again, he's young. He just needs to get stronger. He gets stronger. This guy's probably a day two sort of prospect.
0: Got to, got to add some beef to his game. All right, let's jump to one of my other favorites in this linebacker class. I'm gonna, I'm gonna butcher this name, but uh Paule Paula Gaoteote. I don't Paola know Ie if that's
1: right. Naoteoteo. Wow
0: that's um impressive but
1: the the, that's
0: close Uh, yeah
1: i I honestly i'm rooting against this guy as a prospect just so i don't have to one learn that name and two just because he goes to usc which you know
0: yeah the usc (laughs) off-ball linebacker former four-star five-star recruit i don't
1: against anybody by the way sorry go ahead
0: What, what I really liked about him was that I, I he's, I think he's, I think battled some injuries, hasn't played a ton or as much as you'd probably want him to play early in his USC career. But when he's on the football field moving forward, I thought was really impressive. Blitzing, playing the run, staying near the line of scrimmage. I thought you saw that burst, that explosiveness to be a playmaker at off-ball linebacker. Again, it's when you see it, when you see it, even yeah. in bursts, you get excited. And I think you see that with him.
1: So another young guy going to only be a junior uh, this upcoming season. He's sneaky big. Like, watching his tape, I didn't realize he's 6'2", 250. That's what they list him at at USC. So that's real deal size, and he's athletic. But right now, he's kind of just a big athlete that got thrown at linebacker and doesn't really – like, he has fewer – less playmaking instincts and less plays, splash plays on his tape than a guy like Chassarat, who just literally just switched to linebacker. He he does not have that – Aspect to his game whatsoever. I wrote down in my notes here where are the splash plays? Where's like a nice, like, Quick read gets to the ball, makes a play. Like there, there's not a lot of that just on his tape. But I think he's just to the, the awareness aspect. If it, if we still had you know NCAA football, his awareness rating would be pretty darn low. Uh, just like in terms of recognizing where a play is going, taking on blocks, being able to see blocks. There was a play against BYU where he just got cracked uh, to the turf just because he didn't see a uh, wide receiver coming for him. So uh, I, I do think that aspect of his game is the worrisome part, but again can't teach big athleticism that that's something everyone's going to covet at, at every level uh hoping that they can harness it i think his
0: splash plays were when he was making predetermined yeah, you know, blitzes. reads or predetermined yeah. blitzes. Yeah, blitzes were big. Like if in like, short yarded situations, him just firing off the ball, you saw it. But then I agree that shot. the awareness is what kept him from making those plays consistently. Because you can't, you can't just blitz him every play. You know, like there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of read and react yeah. to playing off ball linebacker at the NFL and collegiate level. So um, when you put him in those situations where he has to think and he can't he can't be as like reactive or, or moving forward at the line of scrimmage, I, I do agree that you saw some concerns. Just this past year, 507 snaps played. a 64.3 overall grade and a 53.2 grade in coverage concerns there all right jumping forward here KJ Britt I haven't watched any of KJ Britt I I didn't know he was coming on this list talk to me about Britt here
1: so he graded out really well this past season as junior for Auburn Auburn linebacker 89.8 run defense grade 70.1 coverage grade like a Old school thumper downhill. When he goes and takes on a block, the offensive lineman goes backwards. Sort of linebacker. Athletically, the easily the most limited guy we've brought up yet on this list. Like He is bottom of the barrel athletically. Unfortunately, he, there was he got stuck covering the slot against Florida. Option route against Freddie Swain. Literally went 64 yards for a touchdown. Just just a simple in route. He was so far away from it that Swain just like turned upfield and had nothing but green grass it was uh it's tough to watch he he just does not have the level of athleticism you want from an nfl linebacker so yes i put him on this list because of the grade to like highlight that we know this auburn guy is a high grade but he is not a not a guy who's going to be drafted anywhere in the first second third fourth round anytime soon i don't think
0: (laughs) All righty, last guy here, and this is a name that I will probably butcher mm-hmm. as well. But it's Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa. Actually, I thought that was pretty decent. Yeah, that you was got a it. Nice no, that was a, yeah. Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa. I, I, I thought again, we're getting kind of to the you know outside of the guys that really have you know high profile potential. I, I did not love or come away like super impressed with him. But uh, again, another guy that you know could improve in 2020.
1: No, so I I think he could. I threw him on this list because he has the traits to push higher. Like he has, he is, if we were to award a, eh, and I was going to say, I was going to give him the fun to watch label. Micah Parsons is just so good. Like he's probably the most fun to watch after my, after Micah Parsons, I think uh, JOK is what I call him at Notre Dame. I don't know if anyone else calls him that, but that's just like way easier than saying. That's not bad. JOK. So JOK uh, is the most fun to watch because he goes from zero to a hundred in the blink of an eye, and every single play. Like, it doesn't matter uh, if he made the wrong read or if he's not where he's supposed to be. He's going 100 miles an hour. And it's incredible to watch. And he is very athletic for a linebacker. Undersized. 6'1", 216 Plays like the overhang role in Notre Dame's defense. But you'll just see these unreal plays where he's, he's knifing into the backfield on like a, a wide pitch and getting to the running back as he's catching the ball. He just has these plays on his tape where it's like, whoa, where did that come from? And then he'll be in the backfield also on a play-action pass where he was not supposed to be in the backfield. He's supposed to be in coverage, and you're like, well, what the hell is he doing? What is he looking at? So he he's a guy who just is... Just out of control, like just too out of control at this point. Reminds me of West Virginia's David Long. If anyone listening remembers him, I he was like a fourth rounder a couple years ago where he just. I think
0: he's. I think he still plays in the NFL. Yeah, I think it's with the Titans. The
1: I think he's with the Titans. Uh, I, I believe. I'm yep. uh, not 100 that, but yeah, he was just uh, just couldn't do anything. Uh, not at full speed and, and so he'll overrun plays uh has some terrible mishaps on his tape but then he had he'll have plays like there was this this was the other pass breakup i referenced earlier when i was talking about chess jok has pass breakup against virginia tech where they motion a guy across the line of scrimmage and he was he's on the guy who's motioning across the line of scrimmage and so he's running across the line of scrimmage the ball is snapped he ends up Pick a tight end goes vertical on that side. He just picks up the tight end like seamlessly. No one else had the tight end. He picks him up, and like the quarterback thought he had an easy touchdown. It was in the red zone, like the 15-yard line. And J. K. is just in the guy's hip pocket. I was You just don't see a guy that's supposed to just mess you up with the motion like that. You don't see a guy seamlessly get to that ball the way he did. So he'll have plays like that uh, and alternate them with just some disasters, but... Those are the ones that make you think, hey, if like you just harness this because he's a really good athlete and can make uh, an impact on special teams as well, he did, has at Notre Dame. So we'll see how he does this year. I have, you know, fingers crossed, high hopes for my boy.
0: Thinking about this class overall after running through these first few, like, I mean, Moses, Surratt, Ga, 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 Na, Ote, Ote and okay, J.O.K., And you're talking about guys that have these tools, these traits, these, you know, these like, like single plays where you're like, man, he has it. Mm -hmm. But then you come out of it like he has to get so much better. He has to clean so much up before like you can play linebacker consistently and not be a liability because it is a position that as the NFL continues to play more 11 personnel is that, you know, tight ends get more receiver heavy. Like it is a position where you can be exposed, like you can be highlighted as a liability and absolutely destroyed for big gains, you know, time after time. So that's why these guys that do have this athleticism and stuff, they need to kind of shore things up so they're not put in a position to lose. Um, That's going to do it for the linebackers we're going over right now. Obviously, some more to add to this list as we press forward towards the 2020 season, hopefully being that there is a 2020 season. But uh, until then, let's go ahead and jump to the interview with Nick Ballore. Joining the 2 for one Drafts podcast is current Seattle Seahawks fullback, but also former linebacker, played linebacker for the Fire Up Chips, Central Michigan, and also the New York Jets, and is a close
2: friend of Mike, Nick Ballore. Thanks for coming on the pod. Guys, thanks for having me. Obviously, it's fucking dire times for you guys to have me as the voice of the <laughs> NFL come on, but, uh, I appreciate
0: it. Of course, we tried for Luke Keekley We tried for some other guys, but, uh, this is where we ended up. It's not that bad though. Not dire straits. I wouldn't put it that way, but You're going uh,
2: for a linebacker fullback conversion. I think I'm maybe your only choice. So uh, perfect.
0: Uh, I think it's, I think it's honestly perfect. Um, this is great. Um, all right, well let's go ahead and kick off with this, man. I want to talk about, obviously that trans not necessarily talk about the transition yet, but you know, playing linebacker at Central Michigan, playing linebacker for the New York Jets, what do you think, you know, some of the bigger things were, like bigger learning curves were at the linebacker position?
2: Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is, um, you know, moving in initially, going right into Rex Ryan's defense. Uh, you know, there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of things you got to kind of, uh, you know, comprehend early on to play because, especially in a scheme like that, um, you know, kind of like what, you know, Mike Pettin is running, uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, interchangeability with guys where you have guys, uh, that have to do different roles at different positions, blitzing, everyone's got to be able to have a certain set. Um, so I think that is, and, you know, I, I think going from high school to college, college of pros is all kind of the same here up and it's the same learning curve. Um, you know, there's a lot less room to make mistakes. Guys are a lot bigger, a lot faster. And that kind of just keeps going as you progress through the levels.
1: So we talk, this is a rookies and draft focused podcast. So we talked a lot about rookies And last year, Devin White for the Bucks, You could see him when he was on the field, just the play speed with which he processed things and reacted was different from when he looked like at LSU. How long do you think it took you going from college to the NFL to feel like you were, I guess, like back in college, back to where you felt like you were seeing things and reacting at the level uh, you were back then?
2: Yeah, I think it depends on the guy for sure. But, um, you know, I think everyone can point back to like a moment or so where they really kind of learned, uh, you know, this is different, I have to do things a little bit faster, I have to speed up my my process of, uh, you know, seeing things. And I think guys, um, especially if they're able to play with older guys are able to kind of like learn, you think you know how to study the game and, and learn to see things. But um, unless you're really taught to study stuff the right way, uh, to know what to look at, even down to that, um, you know, I don't think you see guys progress that fast unless they have someone that's kind of, you know, like Luke Keekley, like I'm sure mm-hmm. playing with a guy like that, he's able to teach guys, uh, you know, discipline with their eyes and that just makes guys appear faster than they may actually be just because they see stuff faster.
0: I want to talk about, and we talked a little bit about this with Snacks Harrison, talking about how even defensive linemen are getting smaller. And at the linebacker position, it's true as well. I mean, guys are, we talked to Drew Tranquil at Notre Dame was saying there were coaches that told him in the pre-draft process that they're fine with him playing like 220, 215. Like they don't care how big you are anymore necessarily. What's your opinion of that and like how the new like three-down linebacker is closer to 240, 235 pounds than they are 250, 260?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think that's something, obviously, I'm getting to be somewhat of a dinosaur now going into my 10th year, and when I came in, you know, it was kind of like the thing to be 250, 260, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, even at at fullback now, like this year, I'm going to try to play 230, 235, which I've been creeping up to, you know, 250 for the last couple of years, um, obviously I live in Chicago in the off season, so there's a lot to uh, eat and drink. So that never helps <laughs> my weight, but, um, I think it's, it's obviously becoming all about speed now and the, really like the thumping that you used to see, uh, you know, all the guys that, you know, I started playing with, were all, I mean, it, 250 was the weight you were at. And now I think you'd be hard pressed to find many guy, linebackers or, that are playing at over 240. Um, yeah. Which is hard to believe. A lot of guys, when you see them on the field, they appear a lot bigger than you know they actually are. A lot of guys are you know two thirty, 230, two thirty five, because there's really no need, especially with how you know passing dominant things have become, uh, to have that extra size. And you know, I think it trickles down to other position groups, but uh, really, you can see it a linebacker versus what it used to be. You know, five ten years ago.
1: I want to get back to kind of your transition to the NFL. What was the difference in kind of I guess playbook size going from college to the pro how much more do you have to know going into any given week compared to back when you're you know back at Central Michigan
2: well yeah I think it was a it was a weird circumstance for me and it will be a weird circumstance for rookies coming in this year because I came in the year of the lockout Um, so there was no um, you know we didn't have a playbook we had no idea the one you know saving thing for the rookies this year is we had zoom meetings and they were able to kind of dig into it but you know it depends team to team and you know some defenses are way more complicated than others but um, I would say it's just a lot more focused on um, it's a lot more mental in the NFL than it is physical in terms of uh, you know throughout the week Um, meetings and all that stuff is a lot more taxing and there's a lot more stuff you have to to learn and And uh, on top of that, most linebackers that aren't, you know, day one starters, they're going to be playing special teams. And a lot of them have never done it in uh, college. So that's a whole another element of stuff um, that they have to learn. And that's not only playbook stuff, but just physical skills that they need to acquire that they may not have, uh, you know, been asked to do in college.
1: Yeah. Jumping off that special teams thing, how important was that when you got to the league? Because I've talked with, uh, uh, some guys around the NFL who are, you know, in scouting departments, player personnel, and they're like, if we draft a guy in the sixth or seventh round that can't play special teams, like that, that's a waste of a draft pick because you have to, if you're a later round guy, you have to be able to see the field in some capacity. So how much was that stressed when you entered the league?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, I, it was huge with the Jets, and I knew that's why I was there. I had never done it before in the past, but really it's just a collection of all of the basic fundamentals of football. But I try to stress that on guys that are coming in because, you know, especially let's just say like in Seattle, it's like, you know, we draft guys. It's, we have Bobby Wagner and KJ, Wright. It's like, you're not, you're not starting over them. So you're either playing (laughs) special teams or you're not playing. and, And there's only so much room on a team. Um, obviously that's kind of how I found my way and have continued to stick around is playing special teams. And some guys I think are too, um, think they're too good for it or you know too proud to play that like it's almost like a but but I think the guys that get it um, either make a living out of it just doing that or continue to progress and end up being you know starters that maybe they were always destined to be but just due to depth or whatever on a particular team uh, it didn't warrant it right out of the gate so I think it's huge and you know, you only have so many spots and, and then even more so less spots active on game day. And if you're not contributing at a skill position on special teams, then you really can't play.
0: I mean, looking at special teams, you've played over 200 special team snaps every year since 2013. So you've obviously made a home there. How often is it repped in practice? Because I feel like people talk about it as the third phase, and, and it's obviously not repped as much as offense and defense, but how many reps are you getting in season with special
2: teams? It's tough because it gets a little gnarly trying to do some of that stuff in practice. But, uh, you know, it depends team to team. I think all the teams that I've played on, it's been a huge emphasis, uh, which I can't, you know, speak to every team, obviously. But um, it's always a very condensed, intense period. So it's usually like 15 to 20 minutes of practice. Um, And it's one of those things that, uh, you know, they really – it's a lot of drill work because you can't, I mean, it's hard to cover kicks in practice. Um, And really that's where, you know, preseason games and uh, that kind of stuff, as much as I hate to say it, because I mean, I don't know anyone that really likes playing in the preseason that much, but uh, it really is good for guys to get a feel for what it's like, because um, it can get pretty hectic out there on a kickoff. And, you know, you see, see your buddies get smoked in front of you. Oh man. Dude, I, So it's, uh, you know, you always got to kind of warn guys that there's, um, you know, guys out there that are capable of uh, knocking you out quite easily. So uh, usually you see it with the young guys, they run with their head down and then, uh, you know, usually the inevitable happens. But, uh, you know, it makes for, it's always fun for me in the preseason because you can usually spot them out. And, you know, I just hope that I get to block guys like that. But Do do it.
0: Do a couple bad plays come to mind? I know on special teams where you get your bell rung. I mean, in practice, I remember in high school, this is no comparison, but like for like, varsity as a sophomore, just getting absolutely destroyed on like punt, you know, trying to cover punts or cover kicks. Did any of those come to mind even like early in your career in the
2: NFL? Um, it was like when I went to New York, it was like, all right, I was going to be kind of like, like one of the guys on special teams. It was my first game. We played the Texans. And I ran down on kickoff, and this is back when they had the, the wedge, so it was, uh, you know, pretty wild out there. And I ran down thinking I was going to – it was like 2-0 lineman too. Got absolutely smoked, and I walked <laughs> off the field. And I actually um, – I, I think I told one of my buddies, I'm like, yeah, I'm never never going to be able to play. This is going to be it. And I was <laughs> like – can <laughs> so, so that happens to everybody. I mean, I think um, – I was lucky because I, uh, remained conscious the whole time. Um, but you know, some guys learn really the hard way and it's, uh, it's just different because you have a different play speed and on a play, like kickoff kickoff return, it's like you have guys flying. And that was before they had the like restraining lines. So guys were just taking off and it was just absolute mayhem out there, which I'm kind of glad that that, uh, kind of got whittled down a bit, but, um, yeah, I mean, I could think of something on every level where you, you know, you do something. I remember trying to tackle um, uh, Brandon Jacobs when he was really rolling with the Giants in the preseason, oh, my rookie year. And I'm like, that, this guy's not, I mean, he <laughs> nine. and I, I'm like, this is not uh, something that I think I'll be able to do long term. But you kind of, <laughs> you know, adjust and learn how to. Uh, you know grab a guy's ankles instead of put your head on their thigh and uh kind of adjust accordingly.
1: So I know you guys have been having Zoom meetings and having some guest speakers over the course of the off season. Any any good ones over the course here? Yeah, we had some good ones and it's
2: uh it's funny in Seattle because like we can I mean like we can like record what happens and because it's always like entertaining with Pete um we had uh Will Farrell come on, he took his shirt off. Uh, that was hilarious um had steve kerr come on and talk about when uh mj hit him in the face or whatever this was during um
1: last dance
2: dance. and then um we always do like group uh presentations and it's kind of a competition to see who wins and russ got uh, michael jordan to come on uh, which is pretty funny he was like in the middle of fishing uh so he was like all right let's wrap it up here i gotta go fish but <laughs> it was fun to have him on and it just kind of breaks it up because um you know as as much as coaches like to think that we all love that stuff it gets a little fucking old after a while but we uh we did a great job of like keeping it light because obviously it's kind of uncharted territory for teams that do these zoom meetings and um you know you had the normal shit like uh guys pretending like their Wi-Fi went out when they were asked questions and stuff like that. Uh, but, uh, it was, uh, it was good. I mean, a lot of, a lot of good guests and like funny little segments that we did. Do you
1: you guys think with all this coronavirus stuff, do you feel like you'll be prepared going into the season? Like if they have a normal say, obviously they've already canceled the hall of fame game, but say you have a normal preseason, do you feel like you as a team will be prepared compared to years prior?
2: Um, I I think we did pretty much everything we could. I think it'll be a lot better than, I mean, I guess it I didn't know any different, but when I came in, it was lockout. uh, Hmm. It was, it seemed like pretty normal, even though looking back, like I'm sure the veterans didn't do anything leading up to that. They were just at (laughs) home the whole time. But I think this has been a little bit different just because we were able to do meetings. So it was some, semblance of normal, uh, you know, off season programs. (laughs) And, um, you know, I think it, as long as guys were able to kind of get to a place to work out at least a little bit, um, you know, I think, I think we'll be in in decent shape. I think that's a misconception too. Like guys are, this is not me. I will say, but guys are such good athletes. Like they can pretty much just like jump into it and be okay. Like we'll have to kind of ease into it a little bit just with, I'm sure everyone will be petrified of injuries, but um, you know, I think most guys take care of their bodies enough or don't, and don't need to, that everyone will be fine.
0: I know it's been mostly Zoom meetings, and and you're probably not working with the linebackers a ton, but I know the Seattle Seahawks, you know, recently drafted a young stud at linebacker in Jordan Brooks. Have you gotten, have had any conversations with him or talked to
2: him at all? No, I don't really like conversating with rookies, uh, you know, (laughs) at all. So that's, uh, that's one thing I try to carry on and bestow to the younger guys is like, you know, that it's more seen not heard out of those guys but no he uh he seems like a nice guy I, don't, I haven't really had much interaction with him other than I think I told him to sing his Texas Tech fight song during a special teams meeting but that's about the extent of it but uh it seems like we have a good rookie class I just you know it's it's tough because a lot of times they're in separate meetings than we are and um you know as as an old guy, I'm kind of in the get off my lawn stage of my career, so those young guys annoy me for no apparent reason. So I try to uh, keep my distance a little bit.
1: Were you surprised they went linebacker with obviously like not much of a need at the position at the moment?
2: Um, like, you know, I don't. I honestly like try not to pay attention to it at all because I just get infuriated if you know you get someone drafted at your position. Just, so I'm yeah. like, I'm pretty sure they're not going to draft a fullback in the first round. So I really. <laughs> Fair enough, no. and and, and kind of move on. But uh, that's always funny. Is like people ask, are like, oh, are you excited to watch the draft? And I was, like, oh, fuck no, I'm not excited to watch the draft. <laughs> it's like people lining up for uh, for your job or whatever. But no, it's uh, it'll be interesting. It seems I've heard good things, and um, you know, it seems like a real athletic dude that can uh, should be able to play early.
0: I want to get your opinion of the Seahawks backfield. Cause I feel like a lot of people, you know, love Chris Carson. I've started there in Seattle, but i Rashad Penny. I'm a San Diego state guy, big Rashad Penny fan, but even Travis Homer, you know, contributed. Well, I mean, this past year, you know, talk to me about each of those guys and the strengths they bring.
2: Yeah. I think, you know, starting with Chris Carson, I think he's like criminally underrated and, um, I just – I mean, he's an absolute specimen running the ball. And I, I'm glad that I don't play linebacker anymore and play against him because, uh, I mean, the stuff that he does to guys is, you know, disrespectful. But um, just a just a great dude, too, and a great guy to have in the room. Um, and, you know, it's it was unfortunate he got dinged up at the end of the year, but it looks like, you know, he's feeling good and ready to, uh, you know, have another huge year. And then Penny's obviously – you know, a super talented young guy that um, you know, I think has all the 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 pieces to be a great back and a good compliment to Chris. And then, you know, I think Homer uh did a great job filling in because it was obviously got weird at the end of the year. We just had a lot of injuries uh one after another. And um I think, you know, just like I was alluding to earlier, Homer's a guy that really embraced the special teams thing. And that's, you know, he did a great job at that, had a great fake punt. Um, conversion for a first down and just you know really started to learn it and it's not easy for offensive guys because those guys have most of them have never had to tackle anybody or do stuff like that before so um you know a guy that uh can learn it that fast I think that is huge because you know you can use him. He you know picks up blitzes he's able to do all that stuff and then also be able to contribute on fourth down
1: So Marshawn Lynch came in towards the end of the year last year for you guys. And I know everyone has like a Marshawn Lynch story or something crazy that he's done in your presence. Do you have a good one that you can, that you can tell on the podcast that maybe it might be PG 13 instead of R or (laughs) X-rated?
2: Yeah. I'm trying to think like there's, there's so many, he was like, I mean, I guess he was only there for like three weeks, but it felt like we, he was like one of my favorite guys I've ever played with. (laughs) Like, I think. it was early on, and um, he had just gotten there, and he sits down next to me in the meeting room, and he looks at me. He goes, what's up, man? What's your name? I'm like, oh, I'm Nick. He goes, do you play? And I go, oh, uh, yeah, sort of, yep. And, I, and I, I go, do you? He goes, yeah. yeah. So and I was like, all right, I got uh, to do something here to to get on his good side. So the next day, um, the rookies, we make them bring in donuts, um, and they usually just leave them in the running back room. And I usually go in there and closet eat about three of them and then go to running back meetings. Lights are usually off. I can usually get there. No, no one's the wiser that I was in there. So I go in and we had signed turban and him. So we had a bunch of new backs and after the backs had just gotten dinged up. So I cracked the door open and the lights on and I'm like, Oh shit. And, uh, you know, Chad Morton, our running back coach, was conducting a meeting with them, kind of bringing them up to speed on pass protections and stuff. And I was thinking, I made a split-second decision. I go, this is where I establish credibility with Marshawn, and I just decided to go for it. So I walk in, barge in. So Marshawn doesn't know that I'm not supposed to be in there. He assumes that I was late or whatever. Cut right past coach, go right to the donuts, grab a couple, look around, I go, what's up, coach? Look up Marshawn, I go, I'm fucking out of here. Walk out. <laughs> <laughs> like shocked. He goes, just he goes, Nick's crazy. What he's crazy. He just walked out of coach's meeting. He didn't know that I wasn't even supposed to be in there. That's amazing. I, I rolled with it and I was like, Yeah, yeah, man. I just go to meetings when I feel like it. Walked out. I had to be in special teams anyways, but he didn't know that. So I still don't think he knows that. But he's like, he's like, it was crazy. Walked in, walked out, grabbed donuts. He didn't even care about Chad. I'm like, yeah, man, that's how I roll. So he uh, had established establish credibility early and often with him. And then uh, it was funny too, because then we got to game day and I would hear music on the sideline. I'm like, that's weird. What is that? And I looked over at him and he had like a beanie on like sideways. I'm like, where's that music coming from? And he would play music on his phone and put it in his beanie next to his ear. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'm sure you get headphones if you really want them. <laughs> You don't have to be, uh, you know, ones that look like you're playing Battleship, like Mike's, but like, I was like, he could do something here. He, uh, but it was hilarious. It was like one thing after another. He is awesome, dude. Great teammate and like super fun to be around.
0: Absolutely. Marshawn, man, he's a story, just a walking story. It sounds like, well, Nick, we really appreciate you coming on the podcast. The linebacker fullback transition podcast, really good stuff, man. We'll have to get you on soon.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys.